0: All right, guys, welcome to this Not Just a Game podcast. I'm your host, Chrissy Sanders. I got a really, really special guest today. Um, We're going to be talking about sports philanthropy, uh, which is a really exciting, exciting field that being totally transparent, like I don't know much about um, because that's not what I do and I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, But (laughs) before I get into the episode, um, I just wanna remind you guys, if you like the content that we put out and um, you find some value in it, please make sure that you uh, subscribe, make sure that you tag me in it uh, or whatever you wanna do, and then make sure that you write a review. Um, I'm never gonna sell you anything on the podcast, so when you do leave a review, make sure that you put a little bit about your business, like a little pitch in it so that I can read it before we start the podcast and give you a little bit of support for supporting the podcast all right so that's my spiel um you know so samantha rogers welcome to the show i got samantha rogers from uh relate social capital my girl what's going on
1: How hey thanks for having me
0: uh, no problem um so you founded uh relate social capital here which is a, a sports philanthropy uh firm out of montreal and um you know I, that's canada guys um so. <laughs> <laughs> just great case, white north just in case anybody needed to know um so like i how did you even get into this like you know
1: uh, a lot of people ask me that question i say that i really fell into a kind of ass backwards and that's being totally <laughs> totally honest um i uh very quickly i got my BCom and thought I was going to be working in fashion marketing and obviously took a very severe left turn. Uh, once I, um, had graduated, I realized that that was not at all what I wanted to do. The idea of, of having to work at a, a corporate head office for some CEO that was making money off of me just didn't, it didn't really spark anything inside of me. Uh, and so with the help of a great professor, he, um, Uh, Sat me down and we went through a lot of different uh, ideas, you know, I thought I wanted to be a teacher or a a event planner. I had no idea what I was doing, you know, the typical, I think I was 22, 23 and and panicked. Um, And then we found a a post-grad program in Toronto in fundraising management. And he said, you know, people need business-minded people to work in charities, so you should go and do that. And I thought, okay, that, that kind of checks out, and then I'll, I'll figure it out from there. So, um, yeah. And then when I, I got to Toronto, I loved what I was doing in my program at Humber College. And I interned at a place called Covenant House, which we have a lot of um, locations. Uh, we have two, no, yeah, two in Canada and then a ton in the U.S., and it's a youth shelter. And I realized uh, that was it. Like I had found my way in philanthropy. And then for the sport philanthropy side of it, it was really just um, have no idea. Honestly, I, I, I really love sports and I loved philanthropy. I never knew they could work together as a function. Um, I had worked in social services and health uh, and education. And then I um, fell into it by starting in college athletics.
0: Okay. All right. So, you know, it was really funny what you what you said about really not knowing what you wanted to do. Um, and isn't it interesting how, basically, in college, they throw us in. Yes. <laughs> throw us in, like, the middle of it. Like, we're, like, 18, 19, don't know, miss our parents, just, like, in a <laughs> hot mess, like, eating hot Cheetos. From <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, you need to know exactly what you want to do with your life, by the way, like, by yes. the time you want.
1: Well, I'll give you one even further. So Montreal is in Quebec, our province, like a state, and we are always known to do things differently. We have something called CEGEP or college. So it's actually two years out of high school before you go to university. And so we start even younger than anyone else because we do our high school till grade 11. So as soon, I think you're 17, 16 or 17, and then you're off into Sage and already there, you have to decide, do I want to go into the arts or do I want to go into commerce or do I want to go into the sciences? And you're like, shit, I don't know. Like, I, you know, like (laughs) I have no idea. And so um, even that, you know, I think it really, like you were saying, it throws you off because you have no idea what you want to do, but there's so much pressure put on students to know that. And I saw that again, working in college athletics, like I'd have Student athletes in my office thinking they had to have their life figured out mm-hmm. at 22, 23. and I'd say, "Okay, you know my name is on the door. <laughs> that doesn't mean I have any idea what I'm doing." And so I'm ten years older than you. I've just left this cushy job at a university to start my own business. Like I have no idea what I'm doing.
0: Right. Yeah. And the look
1: on their faces, you know, sometimes such a relief because they they realize that okay, maybe I don't have to have it all figured out. And and I'd have students text me in the summer saying you know oh you you made me feel better and I was like oh what because I was crying as a hot mess saying I have no idea what I'm doing (laughs) and I'm 10 years older than you like it's okay you figure it out right so it's I think it's important to have that conversation because you never know like I could and that's what I said too I could have never imagined had you asked me even you know six seven years ago I'd have I would never say that I'd be in this position so
0: yeah i mean and i think that's what you said is so important i think and especially important to uh women you know um in business because like a lot of times and even like minorities and stuff like you and i were talking a little bit and like i was saying like you know using you know this quarantine to unpack a lot of traumas that we have like you know but it's like a lot of times like women and minorities don't feel like comfortable uh you know figuring it out along the way you know what I mean a lot of times like people feel that they need to have it all together especially mm -hmm. um you know and there's no like room you know either in society and just mentally to have that space to learn and to grow without somebody questioning your your like competence in an area and so I just think it's so important that you were like sharing that with like students
1: Yeah. I mean, it's important. It really is because, you know, I never thought I could be an entrepreneur, would be an entrepreneur. That was not something, you know, I kind of maybe had the idea in my head and I really noticed, I find, especially when I first started that, um, you know, on Instagram in particular, you really, it's very easy to compare yourself to others and feel that you have to be doing so many different things. And I realized that, okay, but it doesn't make sense for my business to be, you know, some kind of Instagram influencer. Like no, nobody cares about that necessarily in what I'm trying to do. And so, you know, especially too, I found myself going to so many uh, female entrepreneur events and, and it just, it wasn't, it wasn't, it just didn't feel right because everyone felt like they were trying to show them their best selves. But the second I offered a bit of vulnerability to say, you know, like every day I feel like I'm jumping off a cliff. Does anybody else feel like that? Or, you know i don't have it all together and and then bit by bit people would open up and i think that's something that's really important is to talk about all the messiness that comes into it like nobody just falls into a successful business you have to you have to build something and and it's 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 really difficult so
0: it is and people don't talk about how difficult entrepreneurship is and like even like the psychological aspects of it you know it's like you're sitting here fighting and crawling for like this thing that like only sometimes only you understand, maybe your spouse, maybe, like, whoever that's, like, near you, maybe your mom, like, because I got to give my mom a lot of credit, like, my mom, like, totally, like, gets it, and, like, she, you know, has always, like, psychologically supported me, but at the same time, it's, like, you know, when people are working jobs, they, they just don't get it, you know, they don't, yeah. it, like, and then they don't get yeah that sometimes you got to wake up at like three o'clock in the morning to do something like they don't understand the anxiety behind it and i think like it's so important for people to talk about that because it's like this whole lambo culture that we got going on on what (laughs) is like i mean and i think another thing too that we have to normalize is like people working nine to five jobs while having a business like it does not make you less of a business owner if you're nine-to-five job like because i see so many people they can't even meet their basic needs like how are you going to be an entrepreneur you you know what i mean like because you you're so overly focused on survival you, yeah you know what i mean but like people, yeah. people try to shame people all the time it's like oh well you know you're not you're not about it some some kind of way you know what i mean like for you know, sure because and you're not doing that
1: And it's interesting too, because I think as we were saying earlier, the pandemic has really flipped everything on its head, right? I mean, if you look at the heroes during this pandemic, our healthcare workers, our frontline workers, the people that are working in grocery stores in in the sanitary business, you know, like the people who are really helping us are not the Instagram influencers. I hate to say it, you know, or it's just, it's a really, it's, it's really caused people, I think, to step back and like to, to just, you know, have to focus something, focus on something completely different. And it's, it, I don't know, for me personally, I find it's really put a lot of things into perspective and, and really to figure out what's important to yourself as well.
0: Yeah, man, and to speak of that, like, um, so you and I were talking about some different things and stuff like that, and I, like, totally went into that episode without even asking you, but, like, you've been doing, like, some really, like, you've been listening to some dope, dope stuff, like, doing some cool things, like, to kind of get you through quarantine and, like, you know, did you want to share like some of that kind of stuff that you've been doing with the audience? Cause I think it would help.
1: Sure. So, um, I mean, I, like you, if most people who, who, who run their own business have, uh, you know, worked at home, they, they understand what it's like to be uh, working at home. And I I found, so at first I was really upset with myself because I found like okay, I got this. Like this is what I do, and then but it was very different. Particularly, I think right at the beginning because you know we were actually supposed to see each other in New York, and so all of a sudden all my trips are being canceled, yeah. all the things that I'm used to are being canceled, and so I really felt like at the beginning I was in a in a in a kind of a, a dark place. I just I just didn't feel like exercise. I didn't feel like doing all the things I was used to doing, um, and luckily there was this uh, great. Um, a business called Brit & Co and they were offering all these really creative classes for free and so I just went nuts on those like I started taking these calligraphy classes and uh, taking these digital um, illustration classes and and I loved it I found that I was really you know how they always say like look for your flow where you lose track of time and it was doing all these things like painting and drawing and 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 really creative um activities and that really started to then mess with me thinking okay well if i love doing all of this and this is making me feel better than like what's going on with the work that i'm doing right now i just couldn't get into anything yeah. and it really brought me back to being a kid and and i was really artistic when i was a kid and it was really nice and it made me realize too you know like, i was just going a million miles an hour and thought you know like we were saying earlier that if i had some free time on a saturday I would never sit down and just start drawing. I would say like, well, I could be working on business development and it's such an unhealthy lifestyle. And so I really appreciate this time that has forced us to kind of slow down and really get back to some of the things that are important to you. And I started now every day I get up and I go for a good hour walk. And I've been listening to a lot of Brene Brown podcasts that was had honestly the best timing ever for her new podcast to come out because it's been, um, it's been really helpful. And I started taking this Yale uh, Coursera free online class about happiness, which I thought is really interesting. And so just been learning how to better balance my life. And so I think this is, you know, it's something that I want to be able to keep with me in the future as we start getting back to normal, because I found it's been, it's been really good for me personally and professionally, because then I can really dive into work when I need to dive into work.
0: Yeah, I agree with you Um, so, so much, you know, and I know, like, I, in my just life, I've just been such a, you know, work, 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 work type person, and, like, this was, like, the first time in my life where I really started to actually do the work on my internal self, on my mm. inner self, and, like, my spirit, you know what I mean, like, because I was thinking to myself, like, you know, just being, like, totally transparent, even though, like, I had been successful, I just kind of felt like kind of dark <laughs> you know what I mean like, true. like you know like I said like I didn't the
1: first step is admitting it
0: <laughs> I really was like for like and, and I was thinking to myself like yo like you you gotta you gotta change you gotta change like mm-hmm. it's, like you are not like because it was like no matter how successful I was and no matter how much money I made I wasn't happy Mm-hmm. you know what I mean like being like totally transparent and oddly enough I've been in quarantine and yeah I've still been doing deals and doing what I'm supposed to do but I'm so much happier because it's like like you said like taking the time to take care of myself taking time to actually figure out what was like the issue you know what I mean like like <laughs> and, and like and, and unpacking trauma like you know what I mean I think like to a degree like a lot of women don't talk about it. and like I was telling you before like I think how we as women compartmentalize the trauma that we go through in the workplace you know what I mean on people constantly you know questioning your competency people constantly you know like just the shit you have to deal with as a woman like I'm gonna just leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> like you know what I mean like, seriously and it's like and and even though people are like oh like that shit's not real like it totally is real and then as a like black woman it's 10x so compounded yeah and
1: And it's been interesting to see too, especially through, through COVID-19 that, you know, there's been so many articles written that a lot of the countries that are successfully getting through it are led by women because a lot of the qualities that it takes to get through this are qualities that women possess. And we don't necessarily talk a lot about that. And, and, and it's, it's, it is very interesting because, you know, the world's And again, of course, I keep going back to Brene Brown and their podcasts are just transformational because it's been really, it's been really wonderful. But one of them um, that she had on with uh, Glennon Doyle, who's married to Abby Wambach, uh, she was talking about the fact that the world as we know it would end if women stepped into their power, like fully, because, because the whole, because it's all been set up to work against us as far back as, you know, the story of Adam and Eve. And so it's just very interesting to have that insight and to think about it. And, you know, of course um, it's easy to dismiss it. And, and, and I think too, as women, you know, I I think especially working in sports, I spent so much of my time trying to fit in with the guys and, and, and not be somebody who, you know, stood out or, or caused, too much trouble because then I knew I would never be sort of like welcomed into the inner circle. And I thought like, that's a load of BS. Like it's, you know, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And unfortunately for me, it took a lot of men that I worked with to say like, that's not right. The way you were just treated in that meeting yeah. and like, or, or they'd have to s- step up during a meeting to shut another guy down. And I thought this is pathetic. Like, I don't even see it anymore, or I don't even stand up for myself anymore. Um, but I think it's, it's like you said, I think what's really great, I think we'll all come out of this pandemic, um, a lot more insightful and and really understanding like what is important to us and and what really matters and and being able to take that opportunity to slow down and and really rethink things. Because like you were saying, you know, I often think back to the time before I had a business and I thought maybe I was happier then, you know, like maybe that, it, it was a different life. Like I asked one of my friends, "What did I used to do on the weekend?"
0: <laughs> what did I used to do? I on don't know.
1: What did I used to do? What did I used to do when I got home at five o'clock and had a whole evening free? What did I do? I don't even know. That's the thing. And I thought this is a really sad question. And my friend would say, "Well, we would do this on the weekend, or we would do that, or sometimes you would just stay in and do that." And I said, "Like, <laughs> thank you for jogging my memory of what who I used to be." And I thought, you know, it's it's not all what it's cracked up to be. Of course, the grass is always greener on the other side, but I think it's it's just trying to find that balance of what makes sense.
0: That's such a really good point. Like, because when you said that, I was thinking to myself, like, I swear, Sam, like, you know, and like I told you, like, I think that my situation, like, that I came from was just so, like, apparently, like, traumatic to me. At sure. 19. And I think, like, and I look back, I've always had, like, even when I was, in college, I had like several internships. Like, I never had a time for myself. Like, literally, this is like the first time. I'm 28 years old. I started, like on the weekends. I used to build websites. Like, you know what I mean? I just always had like multiple things that I was doing. Like, because I was so scared of like going back to like poverty. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I was obsessed. You know what I mean? And yeah. um and like you said i mean i didn't even used to take walks like i used to you know and, and i have no i'll be candid like i gained like a shit ton of weight like you know when when i, when I first came out of school like i got up to like 230 or whatever kids may be now i'm down to like 185 but i'm like shit it's like to sit there and like you know for, it's bad it's bad for like, it's... what 10 what 9 10 years It's a really, it's a
1: really bad culture that we've created. And I'll tell you this, what's really interesting out of this Yale class I've been taking on happiness. um, It's been a real slap in the face to be blunt, just because one of the first lessons that we talked about was that, um, you know, data shows that you actually don't increase in happiness after making $75,000. Like that's the base point. Like people, the people's, assumption that their happiness will increase like they think it will but actually the data shows that it just stays at where you are Mm. so people have this tendency to think like you know, and it, it's all about it's all about comparison. Well, we'll know if you know, but if I once I get to hundred thousand, then I'll be stable. Then I'll be creating generational wealth. Then I'll be okay. I'll be able to buy my mom a place, or I'll be able to buy that car that I wanted. But then you get to that hundred thousand, and then it's like, well, but then once I get to one fifty, I'll be able to do that, and I'll be able to do this. And so that I found was really insightful because. You know, I have this hunch that as we continue to go, happiness really is just about finding it within yourself. Because they talk about that, you know, even when you get married, you're only happier for two years, and then it goes back to your baseline. So all these intuit, mm-hmm. intuitive thoughts that we have about happiness are actually mostly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that I found like was extremely eye opening to me. And then I I kind of figured like, well, I think I'm living that because I'm I'm seeing that as I go and 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 I want to get back to that place that, you know, like I was the person who always sent my friend birthday cards and I was all, you know, and and then I stopped doing that. And I felt like, I don't want to be that person because it doesn't, it it really, in the end, I feel like it almost makes me feel shittier than, than a better person because I have a a successful business.
0: Yeah, man. And that is like so true. um, (laughs) What you just said. Um, And what's crazy too is like, by. Me being in like corporate, and then a lot of everything that I've ever done, like in my life, like business wise, was around revenue generation, right? Like, so sales, marketing, all that. And what's crazy about the whole situation, Sam, I noticed people that, like, you know, they get to $100,000, but then they start spending $150,000. Like, I think that's that's another thing that people don't realize that, like,
1: because you got to keep up with the people that you're now hanging with (laughs) at that level.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know, now you join the country club and now you got go golfing every weekend. Like, you know, and now you got to go eat like every, like I remember for a time and I was like, and this is terrible, Sam, but I remember I used to like go to a steakhouse probably four or five times a week. Like, like Sam, who? Baller. (laughs) For what? Like, I think about that now. It's like literally, and, and to the point that like, and now we're over here like reduced to doing fucking zoom meetings (laughs) you know what i mean like i just had a i had a uh, zoom meeting with my attorney like he was like oh chrissy like you know i can like buy you i'm like dude we're in quarantine dude like and it's like it gets you right back to basics and understanding oh it
1: humbles you listen Like, like i picked up a bag of soup from one of my favorite restaurants and I am was $10 and I'm going to get four meals out of it. And I am so happy. Right. And I thought it really brings you back to what is important because I'm so happy to get this bag of soup because it's such a treat yeah. and, it, and it's incredible. And I think, you know, I actually it's where I'll be going in a couple of hours but I volunteer at a horse rescue and um, I told you earlier before we started recording but I really it was September 2018 and and I just felt like my whole life just like cracked Mm -hmm. and I started um, dealing with a lot of anxiety my friend brought me to this horse rescue and it makes me laugh every time I'm there because every I do it every Sunday uh, the supper feeds Mm-hmm. and I muck and muck is a nice way of saying just picking up horse shit. and I am so happy yeah so happy to be there and usually on Sundays it rains and I'm just covered in shit and I am just out in the field picking up after the horses and I'm so happy because for three hours, my brain is empty and I'm not thinking, you know, and, and, and I've gotten a lot better. Like I said, I've been there almost two years Mm -hmm. doing this, but at the beginning, I thought I would get in my car and I thought, Oh my gosh, for three hours, I just stopped thinking about work. I stopped thinking about what I could have been doing or should have been doing or how I could have done something better. And I just picked up horseshit. Yeah. And it was so liberating and I love it now because, and I thought like, is this what it came to that I had to break and wheel a wheelbarrow around with horseshit to finally realize that like, you know, sometimes you just have to give yourself a break to to be better at what you're doing and to be a better person. And, and, and um, so lots of lessons learned.
0: Right. So like you, so speaking of that, which is a really great segue into you help athletes Built social capital and like and this is important because and this is why i wanted to have you on the show because like i know a lot of people say that they do community relations and you know, some area of philanthropy. And I think one of the biggest problems that sports has and why athletes aren't represented correctly is because people try to do too damn much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like legit like I will be the first to tell you I'm not an event expert <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not a and I'm not a philanthropy expert <laughs> when it comes to athletes. I do straight up deals, nothing else. Can you like explain this field and like, you know, what social capital is what is all this like how does this work and how does it sure work?
1: so I'll give you Spore philanthropy 101 philanthropy I think is a term that confuses a lot of people but it is actually one of the most simplest terms it means the love of humankind so I think when people hear the word philanthropy they think of like a Bill Gates or an Oprah Winfrey somebody who has a ton of money is a philanthropist and invests and does something good for others but being philanthropic means like you might just be helping your elderly neighbor out with a task. Like everybody has it in them. So sport philanthropy is really just using sport to do good. And whether that's an athlete who is starting their own foundation to build a school or even like athlete activism, you're using your voice to stand up for others, whether it's a team during their community relations, whether it's, you know, within the college athletic space that I was in previously. Um, having, uh, you know, scholarships for student athletes to help them get their education. Like, there's so many different streams of it. And uh, it's, it's really, it's emerging just because I think, you know, it was not something that really had a, had a focused lens on it. Um, We're called Relate Social Capital because we started off as Relate and Relate was because what we had felt um, was that everything we had received in life came from our relationships and it's all based on how you treat people and um, you know I had studied consumer relations, uh, customer, customer relations excellence, I had then gone into alumni relations and donor relations and so everything for me I believe comes from building relationships first. And social capital, we ended up adding that on at the end because it was, a, it was a sort of a new and emerging term, but it made sense with what we were doing and, and started to grow because social capital is really the value of a collective network. And so the people that you surround yourself with and how you try to use those networks to ultimately um, build and advance a community or, or how you just sort of work together for a greater good. Um, so you'll see you know like when you talk about human capital and trying to work you know whether it's to get sort of humans together and working and so I find I find um, human capital and financial capital is kind of like what makes social capital if that makes a bit of sense
0: yeah yeah like okay can you explain that
1: well because I, I, it's the mix of so when you talk about the collective value of your network so you look at like who do I surround myself with? And, and much like you were saying too, um, you know, who do I surround myself with to make myself better and to make others better? So when you talk about an athlete and their, and their agent, do you have somebody who's helping them with their marketing and their branding? Somebody who's helping to advise them on their finances, somebody who's helping to advise them on their philanthropy. So taking that sort of value of your collective network and then making that grow and you'll talk you can see that within like a community how a community will come together i mean this pandemic's a pretty good example of that too like how are you utilizing the people and the talents um, that you have within your network to ultimately grow and advance
0: Mm, so that that makes a lot of sense and i think why that's also helpful too is like because you think about so many athletes like when they leave the game it's like, you know, you kind of go through this PTSD element of, and, and anybody who's played sports understands, it's like, what now, right? And yep. founders who sell their business go through that, right? So you work up to this whole point to build up to something, and then you just say you go sell it or it gets acquired, or it's an IPO, and you leave the company, then you're like, what now? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, when you have, it sounds like social capital in the proper relationships, like it helps you be able to kind of like have a, a ladder to what's For next. sure.
1: And it's funny you say that. I mean, I never knew, a lot of that is the athlete transition, and I never really knew or understood what that was. I had dated um, an Olympic swimmer who very quickly had everything pulled away from him from from a concussion and oh, even though he was uh, university educated and and had a had a plan he felt like he lost his identity Mm-hmm. and even in that period i didn't understand what that was and then i started working in college athletics and then i saw it even with our within our college athletes and and where i worked was mcgill university in montreal and i'll be honest i mean it's you know they joke that they're the harvard of the north so a lot of the students there like that's their last stop like except for women's hockey that will progress past university nobody's coming I mean we've had a couple we had a one of our form, my former student athletes just won the Super Bowl but that is a very 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 um, small percentage of the students that come out of there they they typically you know their sport is the plan b their education and their career is their plan a but even within them I was seeing serious serious transition issues because all of a sudden you're out of university and you're no longer playing football you're no longer playing hockey or soccer or whatever it is and you're not the soccer player anymore you're the engineer and and even them trying to figure out and, and sort of ratify that in their brains was really difficult so i can't even imagine people who are at the professional level and the olympic level having to then no longer be that person anymore and um And I've always seen that philanthropy is such a great sort of next step into that and trying to educate them way before and early on in their careers to utilize that because, you know, again, like the people that I've met through working in philanthropy have been incredible. And I always say that to athletes, it puts you in the room with people who are extremely influential and you need to learn how to work that room and build those networks so that you are providing a cushion for yourself when you then retire and you need to utilize that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, wow, like, that's so important, man, like, what, everything you just said is so true, like, so do you think, like, athletes need to know, um, like, if they have an interest in philanthropy early on, like, when should you start educating athletes on philanthropy, like, what level in their career, should it be, you know, mid, like, before it even starts? Like what, what are your thoughts on it?
1: I think, you know, a lot of athletes are not strangers to fundraising because even if you're in grassroots sports and coming up through sports, you probably had to go and sell chocolate bars and, and try to raise money, right? So that's okay. kind of the nice thing is the the, the base is already there. Um, I got into philanthropy through my grandfather. He taught me about about it and, and it was just a way of his life. and that was just what we did. Um, but I find with athletes and especially as soon as you kind of get into the pros, you already know there's an expectation on you to do hospital visits or to be more involved in the community. Like it's, it's already there. I think, you know, athletes come from all different walks of life too. So for them, the second they get their first paycheck, they might want to be taking care of their family and, and investing or whatever that might look like and and so I think it 's really critical to open their eyes to the fact that if you do this right and you do something that feels good to you, then you can you can make that part of your legacy. What I often really uh, upsets me to see is that they feel like they have there 's a pressure to do something, mm-hmm. and the second you start feeling. A pressure to be philanthropic it kind of takes out all of the joy from it
0: yeah the point yeah. of
1: philanthropy is to feel really good and, and fulfilled because you're helping someone else so the second you feel like you're forced into doing that it sucks and i don't ever want to see anyone feel that way um so it's what i really love doing is just talking to people and saying like what excites you because we can take your passion and turn that in and, and find some kind of philanthropic stream out of that. Is your passion mental health? Let's figure something out. Is your passion helping new immigrants? Is your passion, um, you know, lifting up other entrepreneurs? Like, what is it? It doesn't, it doesn't always mean you have to go to a children's hospital
0: mm-hmm. or
1: you have to go to a gala to be philanthropic. Like, let's actually, let's actually work with something that feels good to you because everyone has that.
0: Yeah. And that's one thing that I love about your business from you and I talking. And one thing just like, and what, why I even set out to even do what I'm doing. Cause I was like, listen, like, I'm not here to sit there and try to like put these cookie cutter, you know, uh, models of, of how athlete careers should go. You know what I mean? There needs to be some type of custom and like actual natural organicness to this, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think, often, you know, people and that's one thing that I love about the profession and and the sports industry and why it's progressing right now is because it's like athletes need to like take more control over their brand and their lives and Mm -hmm. their business which is them. Um, you know, because it's like you can't keep on having like all the guys like Go to the Heart Association and all the guys, you know what I mean. Go to Nike and then all the guys, like literally, like it's like even though people got a lot of hate, uh, not people, but uh, what's that guy's name, um, Lavar Ball or whatever the case may be. He got a lot of hate, but I can not appreciate the simple fact that he tried to create his own shoe. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. like yeah, it didn't go as well, but at the same time, it was nice to see somebody just take the initiative and just try something different. For sure. You know. What I mean? it's like nike adidas all that kind of stuff that'll always be there you know what i mean the heart of social will be there but like when you when you want to do you know something different you got to step out there and try something you know absolutely i love like that your business like does that so like what would you say about um you know how important philanthropy is like to athletes legacies like if a guy was like you know just say was like hey i don't I'm I'm not into helping people. Like I like to play, and then after that, like you know, I want to do whatever. You know what I mean? Like, how how important do you think that athletes have a certain obligation to philanthropy, by any chance? Even if it's like what, or or do you? What do you? What are your? Th- <laughs> I,
1: again, like. Philanthropy is so personal, so I really get my back up when people criticize how people donate, when people criticize how much people donate. You know, if you make money, I mean, we could talk about responsibility as well. If you're, you know, cor- especially on the corporate side, but if you're making money and you don't ever want to give it away, then you don't have to give it away my question you know like my question to a lot of athletes and 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 you don't have to be an athlete to most humans is that it's not in our nature to want to just live selfishly and die and not be remembered and there's you know there's a lot of a lot of talk especially in legacy planning where you say you know you have two deaths when you actually die and then when people stop saying your name and so i always ask people like what most people don't just want to live and then die and never be spoken about again or, or not remembered for anything in particular. Like I would push most people to say like, you, you, you definitely want to have a legacy. They're definitely, you definitely want to be known for something. Um, so use philanthropy to do that. And it's a, it's an interesting conversation. I think to it's just actually talking to people because I find even sometimes in speaking with agents, they say like, okay, yeah, so, you know, my athlete's going to do this, 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 and that's what they want to do. And I'll say like, can I talk to them and ask them myself, can we have a conversation rather than this idea? Because, you know, there's, the, there's a really crazy statistic. I think it's like 76% of athlete foundations fail because they go into it either with good intention or just a uh, financial like tax savings intention or whatever it is or i'm just going to start something and my mom is going to run it and my wife is going to you know be the 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 ceo and then my you know i'm going to have all my buddies on my board and it's like that's not how it works right. but if but if you want to start some kind of family foundation like we can build something that works so it's really just having a conversation with what they want to do but you don't know if you don't know. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I kind of like asking, you know, what is it that's important to you? And I've had, you know, I've worked a good example is I worked with a a really prominent sort of sport leader. And he just called me up one day and was like, I got to get into mental health. You know, I I did, I I worked with a lot of kids and, and hospital programs, but I really need to focus on mental health right now. Right. And we discussed why that was important to him. And then we discussed something that made sense to him where he could actually have a legacy in that space.
0: That's interesting, man. Like, and that's so real too, um, because I think the whole foundation piece is so important. Like that you just talked about, because like, I see that all the time. And then like, have you ever seen, um, you know, have you ever noticed that like the, the financial burden that, that, um, mismanaged foundations can put on athletes like what are your yes. thoughts
1: I always say you don't need a foundation <laughs> Full I stop.
0: <laughs> I was like how do how do I like say this in a nice way <laughs>
1: full stop <laughs> somebody's already doing what you want to do probably better than you could do it full <laughs> stop because like we were talking about earlier you know, a coach is a great coach. I'm not going to tell a coach how to coach. So much like an athlete, they, they are great at what they do. They're probably not the number one person at, um, investing into cancer research, you know, like, so there's, there's something that probably if whatever your interest is, it probably already exists. Now the issue with a lot of athletes or celebrities, um, is they want their name on something. So there's a possibility of creating your own advised fund that's in your name. So you can still keep your name and you could still use that under your brand. You just don't have to start your own 501, um, C3 because uh, that just ends up putting so much more responsibility on you. And, you know, you have to, there, there's a thing called like most of the people involved have to be within arm's length. So like I said earlier, you can't populate it with all your family members and friends. And then, you know, you have to pay all the administrative overhead costs and everything like that when you can just partner with an organization and do it that way.
0: So exactly. 100%. And I like totally agree with you. And that's why I asked you the question because I was like, I really think that like, you know, like I said, I'm, I didn't want to, like, come out there and say that. But, like, I just think a lot of times the foundation piece is very overdone. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, yes. like, but people, people don't know how to stop. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like, it's I don't just, know. You
1: know, I, I had this conversation recently with an agent. And I said, because there was this, I think there was this belief that I was trying to set something up that wasn't necessarily benefiting them. And I said, just fine. Don't come to me to clean up the mess. And then the phone rings a couple months later. And I said, I'm not cleaning up the mess because you, you went at this all the wrong way. You went at this, all this big extraordinary foundation and we warned you against that. And, and, and now here we are, and it's not going the way that you wanted to. And it's not as easy to you know hire your mom and girlfriend and, and, and sister and all of this. And now here we are. And, you know it's the the best is you, and I'd have to find the clip to send it to you but um you never want to be Lamar Odom because he had a camera and a mic in his face asking him about what his foundation did and he couldn't even answer the question yeah and then when they looked into it you know he had all his buddies on his payroll and like it just it's a it's an it's a nightmare for your brand right like do, do you really want to be this incredibly successful athlete who gets taken down because your charity is sketchy like (laughs) do you want that to be your fall from grace no yeah so
0: it's uh it's true it's true and and that's just like and I think about too from the perspective of even like like raising funds for a foundation number one like unless you're gonna like put your own money in it like it's just it's just the way i feel about it it's just too complicated of a piece for a lot of people who are just not experts in that field
1: just, no and, and, and my bar has always been lebron you know? yeah like if, you, if you're not lebron don't start a foundation <laughs> because you're gonna have to put 100k down yeah so unless you're at that level I, we could find you a better partner you yeah. know like it's just it's just it's it's but but again i think there is a crack in that education piece because that's not one of the you know they don't sign their contract and they're like let's can i take a philanthropic course like let's you know let's get this going like that's not the first thing that comes to mind so it usually ends up being sort of an add-on along the way
0: right i'm i'm with you 100 percent do you um do you know what like type of uh tools you know besides like you know everybody i feel like everybody should go to you but at the same time like if people wanted to educate themselves like be it you know agents uh athletes like you said wives girlfriends people how should athletes or people be educating themselves about sports philanthropy before they even get involved with it
1: so this is a great question um (laughs) because there isn't a lot of information right you know i I was quite naive going into it and I had to take an entire uh, one year postgraduate degree on it. And even then I still had questions. Uh, so I think one of the dangers is that people think fundraising and the charitable sector is just a cute little space. And that, that's something that I really dislike about my career is that people think like, Oh, that's cute that you're doing that. And And the charitable sector is a very, um, big sector. It's a huge industry, uh, and 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 it's and a lot of it is like running a business, and so uh, it's it is. Pardon. It's
0: scrutinized too. Oh, one hundred percent. One hundred percent.
1: And it's so it's it's really important to me to ensure that there are the proper resources available. You know, there is the sort of the. The overarching group is called the Association of Fundraising Professionals. It's AFP um, that that are there are a lot of helpful tools, but I um, founded the Sport Philanthropy Collective after speaking with some colleagues around the world where we realized, like, you know, I've gone into enough rooms and said that I work in sport philanthropy and people say, what is that to know that (laughs) we need to do better at advancing this field and actually putting out resources that will help individuals in this space. Um, the whole reason I started my business was because coming from the charitable sector and working in a bunch of different other uh, sectors, whether it be health research or social services or education, when I got into the sports world, I realized like, oh shit, this is not the same. So everything that I learned, all my best practices that I learned, all of the different strategies that I was applying in all the other sectors of the charitable space, were now not necessarily working in sports, and that that's why even within the charitable sector, sport philanthropy is is its own little beast, little beast, beast, beast for coaching and, and proper resources. So it's a long way to say that we don't necessarily have all of the best resources out right now um, but there's you know there's work being done in that space um, you know to tr- to try and better support individuals there's there's really great groups i did a i did a um, executive certificate at george washington university in sport philanthropy and it's probably one of the only i think one of the only ones that that's available at the moment um, and so even through that i learned through you know learned about other groups and met other individuals in that space but it's still quite niche
0: yeah. Um, so I'm sitting here, I'm writing this down because I'm gonna link these in like the show notes just so like Great. people are these things that are available. Um, so all right, like you really put out a lot of good information. Another thing, last question that I do want to ask you is as far as books are concerned, um, you know, because I'm I'm just really big on education, like as far as books, websites, things like that, like is there anything that you read or monitor?
1: Oh gosh. Yes. Um, and now put me on the spot a bit, so I will have to figure out how to get all that to you. Um, in, are there books specifically really on sport philanthropy? No, not really. It's like I said, it's very niche. Is This a call to action that maybe I have to write a book now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean I think what I try to do too is is you can read and educate yourself in general on philanthropy and then apply it in in a in a sports sector in a, in a sports setting um, I think you know I love Warren Buffett so I've read his biography i just i think he's he's incredible he's an incredible philanthropist uh i i because I came up through the world of college athletics um there's a lot of really great resources online under uh, NACDA, which is the National Association of Collegiate Directors of Athletics. And under that, there's a whole development side called nadd N-A-A-D-D.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And other than that, I mean, honestly, I, I get a lot of my information from people that I've met through Twitter. Uh, I've met a lot of incredible um, uh, leaders in sport philanthropy on Twitter and, and just following and monitoring what's going on, you know, like even something like UNICEF has a really good sport partnership program where they they partner with leagues and athletes to do a lot of great work. And, and so there is certainly a need to be able to highlight those stories um, and and to be able to to see what's going on. There's a lot of really great entrepreneurs in this space that that pop up and whether they work with athletes strictly to advise them on their philanthropic investment. I work with athletes but I also work um with sport organizations to help them generate revenue and and raise money and and make position themselves more philanthropically so even within the space there's a lot of different sort of avenues you can go down and and learn
0: okay all right like I appreciate you sharing that with people um so um because like you know, like I said, I'm, I think everybody should reach out to you, but people don't always do that. So just wanted to just make sure. And then on top of that, too, other people who are looking to do it or have been doing some type of variation of community relations, um, you know, and how they could just get better. Because like the way I feel, out, feel about life is you always need to get better. <laughs> well, listen, I think you need to learn from people,
1: you know, and and, yes. and and share. And and I started even on our website, I forgot to mention. So on our website, we have a resources page where I, I try to write blogs about like how to crowdfund, how to um, write a case for support and things like that, because the best part about, like, I mean, like sport is based on, off of teamwork. And so when you learn from each other and you share with each other, you know, you only get better and and it's not necessarily we're in competition with one another, like whatever teams want to do or athletes want to do, you're not really in competition to say like, you know, I'm going to make my foundation better than your foundation. It's really just like, if we could all have really great invest philanthropic investments, we'll, we'll have a greater impact.
0: I agree with you. So Thank you so much for coming by. I'm not going to Thanks for take having me. all your time. But where can people find you? How can people reach out to you? That whole deal. Sure. So our
1: website is relatesocialcapital.com. Uh I am on Twitter and Instagram at samantha l rogers and uh, my LinkedIn is uh, samantha rogers as well and i think that's it you can email me it's samantha at relate social capital.com it's it's all on the website so i'm I'm pretty easy to track down
0: right um so thank you so much and um guys thank you that's our show for today i really appreciate you guys listening again if you uh enjoy the content that we share please make sure that you subscribe and Write a review because it helps people find the show. Um, but write your business in there because I want to support you by supporting the show. Okay. So until next time, appreciate you. Always rooting for you. Take care. All right, Sam. Thank.